When you drive a vehicle so reliable it's backed by a 10-year, 100,000-mile limited warranty, you stop thinking about what you can't do and start doing what you never thought possible. Visit your local Kia dealer today to see what you're capable of in a vehicle that inspires confidence around every corner. Kia. Movement that inspires. Call 800-333-4KIA for details. Always drive safely. Limited inventory available. Warranties include 10-year, 100,000-mile powertrain and 5-year, 60,000-mile basic. Warranties are limited. See retailer for details. Something that makes me crazy is when people say, well, I had this career before, but it was a waste. And that's where the perspective shift comes. That it's not a waste that everything you've done has built you to where you are now. This is Sheep Hibbets the podcast where we explore the inspiring pivots women have made and dig deeper into the personal reasons behind them. Join me, Emily Tish sussman every Wednesday on She Pivots. Listen to She Pivots on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. MTV's official Challenge podcast is back for another season. And so are we. I'm Tori Deal. And I'm Anissa Ferreira. The wait is over, guys. All Stars 4 is finally here and this season takes it to a whole new level old school legends modern power players and ex-lovers are all competing in cape town south africa for the prize of three hundred thousand dollars and we're going to be right here along with you fans covering every episode on the podcast listen to mtv's official challenge podcast on the iHeartRadio app apple podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts The Black Effect presents Family Therapy, and I'm your host, Elliot Connie. Jay is the woman in this dynamic who is currently co-parenting two young boys with her former partner, David. David, he is a leader. He just don't want to leave me. But how do you lead a woman? How do you lead in a relationship? Like, what's the blueprint? David, you just asked the most important question. Listen to Family Therapy on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Tamika D. Mallory. And it's your boy, my son, the general. And we are your hosts of TMI. And catch us every Wednesday on the Black Effect Network, breaking down social and civil rights issues, pop culture, and politics in hopes of pushing our culture forward to make the world a better place for generations to come. Listen to TMI on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. That's right. My mom was a really funny person. She would tell me things sometimes and they would come true. Good week or so before the murders, she was upset. She kept telling me every day, she'd say, I'm losing my mind. I can't sleep. I keep having this terrible dream. She never told me what the dream was about. <clears throat> she would just tell me, I'm having this terrible dream. I'm having this terrible dream. And I started questioning her. I said, is it the same dream? And she's like, yeah, it's the same dream. I said, well, what is the dream? And she said, I, I don't know exactly. I just keep seeing four coffins. I keep seeing these four coffins, but I can't figure out who the fourth one is. And as she said that before I could even ask her anything, she grabbed her purse and her keys and walked out the door. So I didn't even get to question, well, wait a minute, woman, who's the first three? My name is M. William Phelps. I'm an investigative journalist and author of 44 true crime books. This is season two of Paper Ghosts Burned. 
Some called it the greed decade, the yuppie years. But however you want to define it, the 80s was about bright colors, big hair, and historic pop culture moments. A new cable network called MTV, Music Television, debuted. The first space shuttle mission took flight. Ronald Reagan was president. Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this wall. As the countercultural and radical movements of the 60s and 70s gave way to the materialism and consumerism of the 80s, middle America seemed to churn along as it always had. Most Midwesterners went about their business and didn't concern themselves with what went on throughout the rest of the country, something they had been doing for decades already. Struggling to make ends meet, jobs hard to find, the ups and downs of life was nothing new. Notably, in states like Ohio, the setting of my latest investigation. Uh, Bethel was a great little town, just a small town. Um, everybody, you know, kind of knows everybody, and the kids walked the streets, and, you know, we had a Frisch's where all the cars would you know, gather and we'd all drive around. It was just a nice little American town. Bethel, Ohio. It's a small village in Claremont County with a population of just under 2,800. There are farms and more farms. Modest, one-bedroom Cape Cod-style homes next door to 10,000-square-foot ranches with steel arbors over the entrance, the name of the ranch welded into an image of a steer or horse. People here chew tobacco and wear motor oil-stained baseball caps. They walk around with mud on their clothes from the hardest work imaginable. It's an off-the-beaten-path kind of place where people kept to themselves for the most part. You didn't ever need to lock your doors. That comfortable security changed during the summer of 1981 when a call for help went out in the middle of the night. An inferno was ablaze. A massive property belonging to one of the town's most popular, wealthiest families, the Stevensons, was engulfed in flames so immense the orange and yellow glow of the fire could be seen for miles in the night sky. What happened that night, an event I am here to investigate and have been looking into for the past five years, rocked this community. For something like this to happen in a town where everybody leaves their doors you know, unlocked, uh, where everybody kind of knows each other, yeah. um, here we are you know, almost 50 years later, and people are still, they still talk about it. The sense I get is how time has not altered people's feelings or thoughts about the town's most high-profile murder case. Certainly not speculation or rumor, which has ebbed and flowed over the decades. Everyone in Bethel, it seems, has his or her theory about what went on inside the Stevenson's estate that night. But the real story is not within the whispers at the post office or the local diner. No, the true story lives within the people who knew the family best, which, when looking into cold cases, is where you always want to begin. My name is Carol Thompson, and I'm from all over, but I was born in West Virginia. Carol Thompson is a 59-year-old mother of three. She has six grandchildren. She has short, curly, dark hair and a vivacious disposition. Carol grew up in various cities around the country, but considers Bethel her home. I'm in town to meet her at her small ranch house just west of town. She seems a bit nervous, antsy, 
but at the same time eager to discuss what happened to her family 40 years ago on July 6th, 1981. I'm sound asleep and my phone rings. I roll over groggy and I answer the phone, hello, and it's Ed from Ed's Bargain Barn, who is uh, a gentleman who owned a gas station on the other end of Bethel. Well, because it's four o'clock in the morning, he really probably didn't see a whole lot of people. And he had a scanner that he kept on, on on his office. And he hears them calling for fire trucks from my mom's house. He says, Carol, you need to get your mom's. There is a fire at your mom's. They're sending fire trucks from all over. You need to get your ass out there. I said, Ed, why are you messing with me this morning? It's quarter to five. What are you doing? Because I thought this was a joke. He's like, no, 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 Carol. No, listen to me, honey. I'm serious. There's a fire at your mom's house. Carol's parents, stepdad Billy and mom Linda Stevenson, lived in this massive farmhouse. At the time, Carol lived about a mile away, just a few minutes drive. At that early hour, with her three-and-a-half-year-old daughter, Shannon, sound asleep, Carol grabbed a blanket, swaddled Shannon, threw her in the car, and drove off. Before Carol even made it to the street her parents lived on, she could see the glow of the flames, hear those sounds of alarm, and smell the intense odor of fire. Flames are everywhere. I mean, they're everywhere. So I park my car on the side of the road with the intentions of running up the hill, because there's a hill before you can get up to the house. And as I get up the hill, I'm seeing fire trucks everywhere, just everywhere. And I remember I took off running for the front step of the house. I, I was going to go in. I was going in. I needed to get to my mom. I'm going to go in that house. So I take a step to the step. And as soon as I do, I'm pulled back. Somebody has me from behind. And as I spin around, I'm facing a cop I don't know. And I remember them saying, you can't, you can't go in there. You can't go. And I'm screaming, where's little Bill? Where is little Billy? You know, where's little Billy? And I'm like losing it, screaming at him. And I can see two ambulances right here. And I, so I'm screaming, where's little Bill? Where's little Bill? And that, that was the only person I'm screaming for. And I remember they said, little Billy's in the ambulance. He's okay, but your uncle is dead. They unfortunately had it wrong. Carol's five-year-old brother, Billy Jr., was dead. Also, her uncle, 30-year-old Eddie Dowell, who had traveled south from Michigan to stay with the Stevensons that summer, he was dead too. Now, standing in front of the burning house, Carol was joined by her other family members who lived nearby, one of whom was her other younger brother. I want to say it was close to 7, maybe 6.30. My little brother comes flying in the door where I'm at. The neighbor's house comes flying in the door. He says, Carol, they're all dead. I'm like, what? No, that's not right. He goes, Carol, they are bringing the bodies out of the house right now. And I look out and on the porch... There's the bodies. And they're like stacked with a sheet draped over them. And I remember seeing a foot sticking out of, from under the sheet. And I remember thinking to myself, that is my mom's foot. 
At the same time, my brother says, Carol, something's up. They're not telling us everything. There's too much blood. That is not a fire. There is too much blood. There's three bodies on the porch and there's blood. And there's blood everywhere. I mean, on all the sheets and anything. So I immediately haul ass to the lead cop that had been talking to me that morning. I went straight to him and I said, what's going on? There is too much blood for fire is what I'm being told. What is going on? And the cop said, he says to me, Carol, they've all been shot. And that was like, oh man, my whole, even now, when I remember it, you know, like it happened, everything just dropped. Everything about me dropped. Something that makes me crazy is when people say, well, I had this career before, but it was a waste. And that's where the perspective shift comes, that it's not a waste that everything you've done has built you to where you are now. This is She Pivots, the podcast where we explore the inspiring pivots women have made and dig deeper into the personal reasons behind them. Join me, Emily Tish sussman every Wednesday on She Pivots as I sit down with inspiring women like Misty Copeland, Brooke Shields, Vanessa Hudgens, and so many more. We dive into how these women made their pivot and their mindset shifts that happened as a result. It's a podcast about women, their stories, and how their pivot became their success. Listen to She Pivots on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. MTV's official Challenge podcast is back for another season. And guess what? So are we. Just in case you forgot, I'm Tori Deal. I'm a six-time finalist and a Challenge champion. And I'm Anissa Ferrer, and I've been gracing your screens for the last two decades. I am a veteran challenger and Challenge All-Star. And speaking of All-Stars, All-Stars 4 is finally here. I'm going to be honest. I literally thought this day was never going to come. Well, the challenge gods have answered our prayers and we're going to be right here along with you fans covering every episode on the podcast. And this season takes it to a whole new level. Old school legends, modern power players, redemption seekers, and ex-lovers are all competing in Cape Town, South Africa for the prize of $300,000. Anyone can win, relationships matter, and only one all-star will claim the title of challenge champion. Listen to MTV's official challenge podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is Neil Strauss, host of the Tenderfoot TV true crime podcast, To Live and Die in L.A., I'm here to tell you about the new podcast I've been undercover investigating for the last year and a half. It's called To Die For. Here's a clip. All these girls were sent out into the world and they were told, try to meet important men, try to attach yourself to important men. The voice you're hearing is a Russian model agent telling me about spies sent out to seduce men with political power. The war in Ukraine is also being fought by all these girls that are all over important cities. For the first time, a military-trained seduction spy reveals how the Russian government turned sex and love into a deadly weapon. 
if you want to kill your target, it's easy. You just seduce him, take him somewhere, start having sex, and then he's very vulnerable, so you can kill him easily. To Die For is available now. Listen for free on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Tamika D. Mallory. And it's your boy, my son, the general. And we are your host of TMI. New year, new name, new energy, but... Same old us. Oh, yeah. And catch us every Wednesday on the Black Effect Network, breaking down social and civil rights issues pop culture, and politics in hopes of pushing our culture forward to make the world a better place for generations to come. But that's not all. We will also have special guests to add their thoughts on the topics, as well as break down different political issues with local activists in their community. If you like to be informed and to expand your thoughts, listen to TMI on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. That's right. I'm Elia Connie, and this is Family Therapy. My best hopes, I guess, identify the life that I want and, and work towards it. I never seen a man take care of my mother the way she needed to be taken care of. I get the impression that you don't feel like you've done everything right as a father. Is that true? That's true, and I'm not offended by that. Thank you for for going through those things, and thank you for overcoming them. Wow. Thank God for the limits. Every time I have one of our sessions, our sessions be positive. It just keeps me going. I feel like my focus is redirected in a a different aspect of my life now. So, how'd we do today? We did good. The Black Effect presents Family Therapy. Listen now on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Billy and Linda Stevenson were well-known in Bethel, all at once for their eccentric, larger-than-life personalities, as well as their successful business ventures. Billy, sometimes called Steve, which is short for Stevenson, was a self-made, coming-from-nothing, South Carolina-born Texan transplant who wound up in Claremont County, Ohio in the early 70s. He began his enterprising career selling a variety of thrifted goods and knickknacks like garden statues, ceramic bowls, jewelry, and Mexican imports. His biggest source of income back then came from selling those cheesy 1970s-era black velvet paintings. You've seen them. Iconic figures like Elvis and Bruce Lee. It was at Billy's store where Linda began flirting with him, despite the fact that he was also a married man and had children. So she started flirting with Steve, and then within no time, she had Steve wrapped around her pinky. So he gives up his business, gives up his wife, gives up his kid, and him and Linda, well, my mom got pregnant right away. She knew what to do to keep a man. (laughs) So she got pregnant right away. So um, Billy was very excited. Steve was very excited. He wanted this baby, okay? This was a new chapter for Linda, who at this point was already a mom to four children and had recently left an abusive marriage to an ex-con. 
Billy and Linda were married in 1976. With teenage daughter Carol at home watching over her new baby brother, Billy Jr., both Billy and Linda Stevenson traveled around the country for weeks at a time, selling wholesale merchandise. Kind of what happened was gold and silver went crazy. The metals, gold and silver went nuts. My mom was very business-minded. And so she went to Steve and said, we need to do this. We're going to buy and sell gold and silver. And when they started that, man, their business took off, which led her into wanting to learn jewelry. So she went and got some training and learned how to identify diamonds. And she learned, you know, she she got a lot of training and, and learned what she was doing. And she started selling jewelry. By 1980, Billy had expanded his businesses and graduated to owning five roadside fireworks stands along Route 125, which is a four-lane road, lots of heavy, fast-moving traffic, a main artery bringing you into all the neighboring towns. By this time, Carol and her new husband pitched in and helped with the sales, raking in upwards of $20,000 per day from May to the July 4th holiday weekend. Now, we sold them year-round. You know, we were too busy with gold and silver throughout the year. But come May, it was all focused on fireworks. Was he into the illegal types right away or no? He was never into illegal fireworks. Never? Never. Never. Now, did he have his own a few illegal fireworks? Sure. But he didn't sell illegal? Oh, absolutely never. Oh, but keep in mind, all fireworks are legal in the state of Ohio. Yes. You can sell them if they're taking them across state lines to let them off. In Ohio, it was legal to sell and possess fireworks. You just couldn't fire them off. Didn't make sense, but that was the law. So Billy and Linda made each customer sign a release stating they would not light the fireworks they'd purchased from their stands in the state of Ohio. Now, was he ever in any trouble previously with the law? Yeah, he had been in trouble, but honest to God, I don't know a whole lot about it. I know that he had a felony because I know he wasn't supposed to own guns, but my mom didn't have any felonies, so she owned guns. So I guess that was the little loophole they used. And it's safe to say that Billy had guns on him probably at the stand. There were always guns around that house and around that, in their purse, my mom's purse. Tell me about the guns that they had. Well, my mom carried a 357 in her purse at all times. And Steve would have had, uh, he carried his 44. A lot. I won't say he carried it all the time, but if he was going somewhere, it was on a seat beside him. Was he the type of guy who would use that gun if he needed to? Absolutely. Linda and Billy were not playing. Those are serious weapons only serious gun owners keep. By early summer, the Stevensons were gearing up for another busy season, particularly as July 4th neared. This was the time they waited for all year. Long lines, cash money, but also 12-hour days, every day of the week. People everywhere. The lines and lines of people wanting to buy fireworks is crazy. And uh, that particular year, I do 81. I remember that was the year I got my first trailer. And I was so excited, (laughs) you know. So I had all these beautiful fireworks in my trailer. It was awesome. Money was not a concern for the Stevensons. One source told me Billy got the first waterbed in town, which, if you grew up in the 80s, you know, that was a big deal. Except for Billy, it had to have a bit of extravagance. 
so he apparently stored nothing but gold bars underneath the bed he and Linda slept in. A lot of people have been telling Mom and Steve, you know, hey, you know, you need to be careful, man. You know, you're flashing all this money. You're wearing all these jewels. Y'all need to be careful. Did they brag about it? No. They, they did not brag. They weren't the bragging type. But yeah, I mean, they showed it. And they, they flaunted it. I mean, they used it. I've heard that Billy was the type. He'd have a roll of money with a rubber band in yes. his pocket. And he'd hand it to you. He wasn't shy about showing people, and if you needed a 20, he'd hand it to you. You know, or if, you know, you walk up, oh, my little girl's selling candy bars, can you buy? Sure. Give me $20 worth. I mean, they were nice people, and they flaunted. She was dripping in jewelry. He was too, but she was bad. We're talking five rings on one finger. We're talking, this woman probably wore, I don't know, 20 carats of diamonds on her hands? It's like, hey, look at me. You should rob me. The question has always come up. How did Billy Stevenson make the bulk of his money? I've spoken to people who suspected drugs. Others believed he ran guns with an old friend and business partner. Selling velvet posters and fireworks on a corner lot in a gas station parking lot. Well, that's one thing. Showing off hundreds of thousands of dollars, which many say Billy liked to do. That's quite another. The problem with all this? Who do you believe? Something that makes me crazy is when people say, well, I had this career before, but it was a waste. And that's where the perspective shift comes. That it's not a waste that everything you've done has built you to where you are now. This is She Pivots the podcast where we explore the inspiring pivots women have made and dig deeper into the personal reasons behind them. Join me, Emily Tish sussman every Wednesday on She Pivots as I sit down with inspiring women like Misty Copeland, Brooke Shields, Vanessa Hudgens, and so many more. We dive into how these women made their pivot and their mindset shifts that happened as a result. It's a podcast about women, their stories, and how their pivot became their success. Listen to She Pivots on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. MTV's official Challenge podcast is back for another season. And guess what? So are we. Just in case you forgot, I'm Tori Deal. I'm a six-time finalist and a Challenge champion. And I'm Anissa Ferrer, and I've been gracing your screens for the last two decades. I am a veteran challenger and challenge all-star. And speaking of all-stars, All-Stars 4 is finally here. I'm going to be honest. I literally thought this day was never going to come. Well, the challenge gods have answered our prayers, and we're going to be right here along with you fans covering every episode on the podcast. And this season takes it to a whole new level. Old school legends, modern power players, redemption seekers, and ex-lovers are all competing in Cape Town, South Africa for the prize of $300,000. Anyone can win, relationships matter, and only one all-star will claim the title of Challenge Champion. Listen to MTV's official Challenge podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is Neil Strauss, host of the Tenderfoot TV true crime podcast, To Live and Die in L.A., I'm here to tell you about the new podcast I've been undercover investigating for the last year and a half. 
It's called To Die For. Here's a clip. All these girls were sent out into the world and they were told, try to meet important men, try to attach yourself to important men. The voice you're hearing is a Russian model agent telling me about spies sent out to seduce men with political power. The war in Ukraine is also being fought by all these girls that are all over important cities. For the first time, a military-trained seduction spy reveals how the Russian government turned sex and love into a deadly weapon. If you want to kill your target, it's easy. You just seduce him, take him somewhere, start having sex, and then he's very vulnerable, so you can kill him easily. To Die For is available now. Listen for free on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Tamika D. Mallory. And it's your boy, my son, the general. And we are your hosts of TMI. New year, new name, new energy, but... Same old us. Oh, yeah. And catch us every Wednesday on the Black Effect Network, breaking down social and civil rights issues, pop culture, and politics in hopes of pushing our culture forward to make the world a better place for generations to come. But that's not all. We will also have special guests to add their thoughts on the topics, as well as break down different political issues with local activists in their community. If you like to be informed, And to expand your thoughts, listen to TMI on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. That's right. I'm Elliot Connie, and this is Family Therapy. My best hopes, I guess, identify the life that I want and, and work towards it. I never seen a man take care of my mother the way she needed to be taken care of. I get the impression that you don't feel like you've done everything right as a father. Is that true? That's true. And I'm not offended by that. Thank you for, for going through those things and thank you for overcoming them. Wow. Thank God for the limits. Every time I have like one of our sessions, our sessions be positive. It just keeps me going. I feel like my focus is redirected in a, in a different aspect of my life now. So... How'd we do today? We did good. The Black Effect presents Family Therapy. Listen now on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Business that holiday weekend exceeded expectations. By July 5th, the Stevensons had grossed over $200,000 in fireworks sales. That night, the family went out to dinner to celebrate another successful season. Everyone, Billy, Linda, their five-year-old son, Billy Jr., daughter, Carol, who had her young daughter with her, and Linda's brother, Eddie, returned home around 10 p.m. Carol's parents were still in a triumphant mood after getting home and called some friends to come over and hang out. But Carol was exhausted from working the holiday weekend. She decided to head back to her own place around 10.30. As she was leaving, Carol passed two men in the hallway. One, a close family friend. The other, someone she didn't recognize. They were just arriving. Just before midnight, Carol called the house to say goodnight. 
Her mother Linda answered. She sounded happy and even joked around, playing the call off as if it was that family friend's wife calling and looking for him. There was a lot of traffic in and out of that house. If it wasn't his daughter and, and her clan, it was, you know, friends of his or friends of them. So it wasn't unusual. Barry Creighton was a sergeant with the Claremont County Sheriff's Department. He had been working the midnight shift when he got a call from dispatch about a nearby house fire and a body that had been found inside. He was the first officer on the scene. When I got there, Chief Houck, Bob Houck, was the fire chief, and he met me in the driveway, and he said, uh, there's bodies in there. He says, uh, I think maybe one of them, they've been shot. And I said, uh, can you give me a shakedown cruise on a oxygen mask and what have you and to go in the fire? And he said, sure. So he did. He gave me a one, two, three. And he and I went in back in the house. The Stevenson property was glamorous and extreme, with two kitchens, a game room, in-ground pool, ballroom dance floor, the latest video games, and a living room the size of a small ranch house. While I was in town, I saw the place, which had been remodeled once again, but with the integrity Billy had designed himself. Billy had even converted the silo attached to the old barn into an office. The smoke from the fire was so thick, law enforcement initially miscounted how many bodies were in the house. We went in, and we had to get down on the floor and crawl. And first of all, he took me to a couch. And there was a small child laying on the couch. And I could tell he was dead. And um, then he showed me another individual laying out on the floor by the table which was dead. An important point here is the positioning of the bodies. Each victim was found on the first floor. If you walked in through the front door into a large foyer, straight ahead was a formal dining room. To the left, a living room, where the first body was discovered, five-year-old Billy Jr., who was lying on the couch. Everyone I've spoken to believes he was asleep when shot at point-blank range on the left side of his head. The bullet exiting on the right. Carol's uncle, Eddie Dowell, was in the same room as Billy Jr. near a small dining table in the corner. Eddie was found on the ground next to a chair. Three gunshot wounds to the head, point blank, execution style. His face pretty roughed up, likely pistol whipped, with contusions to his stomach and lower leg. Linda Stevenson, Carol's mother was in the kitchen, face down on the linoleum floor. Shot once on the right side and once on the left side of her head. Billy Sr. was found inside the master bedroom's bathroom. No clothes on, shot six times. Head, neck, face, chest, left abdomen, and left upper arm. He also had contusions, abrasions, and lacerations on his face, neck, and back. I've seen the crime scene photos. Billy's right hand was frozen in place like he was holding a weapon, finger curved around an imaginary trigger. But no gun was recovered near his body. Despite the four bodies being found inside the burned home, Linda's was the only one to have been 
extensively burned, to the point of being nearly unrecognizable. So when we got out on the uh, lawn, I told him, I said, uh, do this for me, Bob. I said, uh, see if you can put it out so we'll have a crime scene. And what was the fire like at this time? It was coming through. Pieces were dropping down off the ceiling. Uh, Smoke was really heavy. So it wasn't no time. And Chief Howe came back to me and said, uh, we're not going to be able to save it. It's going to go down. He said the second floor is going to come into the first floor. And I said, well, get him out of there. And that's when his men hauled him out there and put him on the, on the yard. By this point, Creighton was joined on the scene by other members of the Claremont County Sheriff's Department, including Detective Tom Cooper, the guy who would ultimately lead the investigation. Cooper is one of those old school detectives you look at and you think, if I'm a crime victim, this is the guy I want looking into my case. Well, we knew Linda and and the family was alive at 11.55. The uh, fire started at 3, so it had to be between, say, midnight and probably 3 o'clock in the morning. We, we looked at the crime scene, and we knew we could handle some of it, but it was going to be a uh, intense crime scene. So the sheriff had some contacts with FBI and BCI, so he asked for assistance from FBI on evidence maybe sending them evidence up to their lab, which they granted, and Ohio BCI came down, Ohio Bureau of Criminal Investigation, uh, to help us with the crime scene. Uh, we found some shell casings. The drawers been pulled out. We found a bunch of pornography. As Detective Cooper explains, shell casings from two different guns, a twenty-two caliber and a thirty-eight caliber, littered the Stevenson's house. Three separate fires had been set, one on the second floor, two on the first. After the bodies were removed, the top floor collapsed onto the first. And although dresser and kitchen drawers had been pulled open, many expensive items, including jewelry and art, were left behind. Not to mention the arsenal of guns Billy Stevenson kept inside that house. A couple over his bed, a few in the bathroom, even several tucked away in the living room and dining room. It was hard to consider robbery as a motive to kill four people including a small child, when so many valuable items had been left behind. One thing was for certain. Whoever did this was clearly familiar with the layout of the Stevenson's 5,000-square-foot home. Well, when Deputy Creighton went in, he observed right then that several of them had bullet wounds to the head, uh, so we knew it was a homicide. It, it was, the fire was set after the homicide to destroy evidence. For Cooper and the Sheriff's Department, finding and speaking to everyone who was at the house that night was going to prove essential. And that included Billy and Linda Stevenson's daughter, Carol Thompson. I don't remember exactly what happened. It was an FBI agent, and Claremont County was there too. And this officer had asked me something. I answered, honestly. I never lied to them. There was one time I might have distorted a little bit, but I never lied to them. And he said to me, well, exactly where were you?
in the next episode of Paper Ghosts. And as soon as it hits, I see whoosh out about four or five feet of diameter of fire. And all I can think is, holy shit, we're all going to die. The way they, the Stevensons were killed, there was execution style on all of them. But each one of the victims had a gunshot wound to the head. The house is smoldering, and I don't know exactly what all went down here. As I'm walking up the hill, that damn little bitch says, there he is, he murdered him, he murdered him. Paper Ghosts is written and executive produced by me, M. William Phelps, and iHeart executive producer, Christina Everett, with script consultant, Matthew Riddle. Audio editing and mixing by Abu Zafar. Thanks to Will Pearson at iHeartRadio. The series theme, number 442, is written and performed by Thomas Phelps and Tom Mooney. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Something that makes me crazy is when people say, well, I had this career before, but it was a waste. And that's where the perspective shift comes, that it's not a waste that everything you've done has built you to where you are now. This is She Pivots, the podcast where we explore the inspiring pivots women have made and dig deeper into the personal reasons behind them. Join me, Emily Tish sussman every Wednesday on She Pivots. Listen to She Pivots on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. MTV's official Challenge podcast is back for another season. And so are we. I'm Tori Deal. And I'm Anissa Ferreira. The wait is over, guys. All Stars 4 is finally here. And this season takes it to a whole new level. Old school legends, modern power players, and ex-lovers are all competing in Cape Town, South Africa for the prize of $300,000. And we're going to be right here along with you fans covering every episode on the podcast. Listen to MTV's official challenge podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Tamika D. Mallory. And it's your boy, my son, the general. And we are your hosts of TMI. And catch us every Wednesday on the Black Effect Network, breaking down social and civil rights issues, pop culture, and politics in hopes of pushing our culture forward to make the world a better place for generations to come. Listen to TMI on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. That's right. The Black Effect presents Family Therapy, and I'm your host, Elliot Connie. Jay is the woman in this dynamic who is currently co-parenting two young boys with her former partner, David. David, he is a leader. He just don't want to leave me. But how do you lead a woman? How do you lead in a relationship? Like, what's the blueprint? David, you just asked the most important question. Listen to Family Therapy on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. We cover the stories behind what's moving money in markets and help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters every afternoon. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleya Mosin. 
And I'm David Gura. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.